wonderful. And so we're very, very blessed and feel that God continues uh, to be a part of our lives in such a wonderful and amazing uh, way. Uh, it's great for everyone to be listening in on these lessons from the book of Philippians on Sunday. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going through the Psalms, and I'm excited to be going through some of the specific Psalms this coming week. And if you want to take part in that, you're welcome to do so as well. We'll be in the Psalms on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons here live right here on my Facebook page. If you're watching this live um, at on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. And then uh, these studies here on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. in the book of Philippians. And always, uh, you'll see these posted on our website, uh, my Facebook page, and our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page as well. If you want to catch up on some, then you can do that on our website, westerwin.com. Just uh, go over to our homepage, scroll over where it says social media and resources, uh, click on live stream, and then scroll down a bit until you come to that archive and you'll be able to see the archive. Um, if you want to watch these, uh, the live broadcast, perhaps many of you are watching that uh, on our live stream page that we uh, show our Sunday morning services on at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, you can do that. That's on uh, Sunday afternoons at 6 p.m. Sunday evenings is when we show the rebroadcast of that on our website. And then Following that, it's in our archives as well. So just a little bit of information. We have a lot uh, going on, a lot of wonderful things. Our church is meeting uh, for Bible classes on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings now, and we're meeting for our morning worship assembly at, um, at 10 a.m. We had a really good crowd this morning, a really good uh, service, and appreciate everyone's continued prayers for our church and for other churches that uh, have been struggling through this pandemic. I was talking to someone today. Uh, we were talking about their business and how it's been a struggle this year. And I think yeah, that's true of everyone, uh, businesses, churches, families, uh, individuals. Uh, we've seen a lot of a lot of that. And um, and so I want us to look at a very special passage, a bit of a confusing passage uh, today in Philippians chapter two. Uh, verses 12 and 13. So it's wonderful to see my dear friend and sister Michelle with us. Uh, glad to see you. I uh, saw y'all this morning from the pulpit, but I didn't get to chat with you. So it was great to see you and nice to see you taking part in this. My cousin Gail, such a faithful watcher and listener. Appreciate you and Keith so very much. Uh, Lenny and Joe, of course, our dear friends uh, from Arlington. And uh, Larry and Lynn Murphy, great to see you all as well. Perhaps there will be some others that will chime in. I see my dear friend and sister Linda Riddell is uh, is being is here as well. So Linda and Stan have been a great blessing uh, to us through the years and a great source of encouragement. And I know there will be a lot more that will come. You may may not uh, put a comment on there. You may or may not uh, uh, send me a note. But I'm so glad that uh, that you're able to take part in these because. Um, through the pandemic, God has really blessed us. I mean, he truly has to be able to stay connected through um, different uh, venues uh, such as this one right here. And I'm really glad to be able to be covering some wonderful passages of scripture with you. We've gone, gone through Matthew and we've gone through Acts on our Tuesday, Thursday studies. We are uh, going through uh, Psalms, as I said now, and going through Philippians here. We've had uh, Zoom classes that have been going on. We're able to meet in person now, and so that's a great blessing as well. 
so lots of lots of wonderful things, wonderful ways that the Lord has blessed us so that we can continue to connect with him and connect with each other uh, through his uh, wonderful blessings. So uh, nice to see Jerry and Beverly here from the big city of Canton. We just drove through that uh, this weekend as Joyce and I made a quick trip to go see our daughter and son-in-law and grandson in Arlington. Uh, boy, that was a quick trip for sure, leaving uh, Friday afternoon and coming back uh, Saturday evening. So uh, if I uh, if I appear a little bit weary, then that may be why, <laughs> but uh, also a little bit rejuvenated after getting some a daughter and son-in-law and grandson hugs in. That's, uh, that's quite a blessing. Um, so let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we began <clears throat> looking at this chapter over the last couple of weeks with that call to live a certain way in those first few verses. And uh, and then the great, the best illustration ever, as I call it, Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. And I think as we look at this passage that we're going to be covering today, these two verses, verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2, they're... Um, They've been misunderstood, I believe, and I think sometimes we use passages of Scripture in ways that aren't really faithful uh, to not just the passage itself, but especially to the message of the rest of, of Scripture. As you look at Bible verses and Bible passages and doing your Bible study, that's one of the primary rules of Bible study, and that is that a, a passage of Scripture is not going to mean something that contradicts the rest of the teaching of Scripture. And so I'm afraid that our passage today um, tends to have done that. So um, reading uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, and then we may backtrack a little bit and take a look at verses 1 through 11 and look at some other passages as well that might help us understand exactly what Paul is trying to say here as best we can. Um, we, I mentioned this morning, we uh, had a, a message in our series, uh, What I Believe and Why, uh, on the gospel of Christ and the response of faith. Uh, and if you uh, have a chance to uh, watch that message or perhaps to share that message, it is uh, the most critical message of all because it's the message that reminds us that the gospel of Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus and the response of faith to that. What happens from there? Well, that's when we uh, believe in him and in his gospel. We repent of our sins. We change our lives, get on a path that is faithful to him. Um, we confess that faith, that that's our desire, that that's what we believe in. And I believe scripture also teaches that we are to be baptized in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. And as Paul says in Romans 6, we're raised to live a new life. And today, that's what we're talking about. Uh, in this lesson, in these verses, we're talking about that new life that we're raised to walk and to live uh, based on uh, that response of faith. Uh, what we're talking about today is not doing something that will en entitle us to be saved and to be forgiven. And I think that's one of those uh, critical things to understand in Scripture is uh, is what it means to be saved. I, I think we approach this humbly. As I said this morning, we, we recognize that we're limited by our human understanding and experiences, and so uh, we don't know everything. 
but we do the best that we can, and we do believe that Scripture is where we go to answer these questions about how, what is the gospel, what is the good news, what is the response of faith, and how are we to live in light of all of that? And and I think that's what we're talking about um, today. So I want us to read verses 12 and 13, first of all, of Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so that little statement, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is one I think that we have misused at times. I think we haven't always done so. But I do think it's one of those scriptures that gets jerked out of its context and well-meaning Christians or well-meaning preachers, um, well-meaning Christian friends may point their friend or their loved one or their church, their Bible class to that scripture and, and say, see here, you need, to, you need to work hard so that you can be saved. And that's not what this passage is saying. And I want us to remember that. And so I want us to kind of take a look at that here. Uh, as we consider what it means to work out your salvation, uh, and also perhaps um, what it doesn't mean as well. Um, so a few things as we consider this. First of all, let's consider those verses that immediately precede it. Chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. If you're talking about what this means, remember this is a passage that begins with therefore. And uh, one of my favorite sayings uh, somebody came up with, not me, but I heard it, uh, I've heard it through the years, is that when you see something in scripture and it's it says it starts out with therefore, then you need to ask the question, okay, what is this therefore? <laughs> what is it therefore? Why is it why is what is it based on? Because when you see something that says, therefore, then you need to look back at what's gone on uh, before. And I think that's where we are in Philippians 2 when we go back to verses 1 through 11. First of all, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So as we've said the last couple of weeks, that's the message. That's that's what Paul tells us is how we should be living and how we should be treating one another. It's a little bit of an expanded version of love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and, and as he thought about the best way to demonstrate that and the best example to use, he goes to the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 5 of Philippians 2, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped, to be held on to. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That whole uh, scenario in those last few verses is exactly what Paul is saying we need to do 
in a less literal way to fulfill what he says in verses one through four. This is how we should live. This is the attitude we should take. This is the lifestyle we should live. The same as Christ Jesus, who was in the very throne room of the Father and emptied himself and took upon not just human form, but became a servant of humanity and endured death for us. Not, and not just any death, but death as a criminal on a cross, crucified for your sins and mine. But of course, that's not where the story ends. Uh, therefore, in verse 9, therefore, because of everything that he just said of what Jesus did for us, Therefore, God exalted him, Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that's going to happen one day, but we know it hasn't happened yet. And we know that it's not happening in our world right now. Uh, God blesses us in some marvelous, incredible ways. But we also know that there are a lot of people out there that are not willing to bow their knee to Jesus Christ and are not willing to confess his name. One day they will, and hopefully they will do that of their own accord and desire in this life. But if not, one day they still will, because God will send his son and he will return and we will all be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, only through his grace and his love and his sacrifice uh, will we be able to uh, enter into that wonderful kingdom and find our place at that banquet table as Jesus talks about and gather with those incredible saints around the throne of God for eternity, praising him uh, all, all the time. That'll be such a great, great blessing. But some folks won't do that until he comes again, and we get that. And so how are we supposed to live now? That's the question. What happens now? And that's where, again, we go to verses 11 uh, to verses 12 and 13. Therefore, based on all of that, verses 1 through 11, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, we know that Paul has talked to them about where he is in chapter 1. We know that he has told them that he is writing from jail. He's probably in Rome, in a Roman prison, awaiting for his appeal to Caesar, where we find him at the end of Acts, in Acts 28. That's likely the setting for the writing of this epistle and the other what we call prison epistles, Galatians and Ephesians, uh, and uh, or not Galatians, but Colossians and Ephesians and Philemon and, of course, Philippians. And so Paul says, look, I'm not with you right now, but... Even this, I remember how I told you to live and how I wanted you to live when I was there. And now much more in my absence, he says, now that I'm not there, um, try even harder uh, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. What exactly does that mean? Well, let's talk for just a moment about what it can't mean. It can't violate the rest of the teaching of the New Testament. Uh, Sometimes we read this passage without considering those verses before it and without considering the verse that comes after verse 13 that we read a moment ago and we'll get to in just a moment. Without considering great passages of scripture like uh, Romans 1 through 5 and uh, Ephesians 2 and Titus 3 and James 2, these incredible passages that remind us that, yes, we're supposed to live a certain way, 
But we live that way, not in order to be saved, not in order to have our sins forgiven, to receive salvation. We live that way because that's what God has already given to us. He's given us that gift of salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2 and Titus 3, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and Titus 3, 3 through 8, both talk about our status before Christ. We were dead in our sins. Uh, Paul tells them, and God made us alive through Jesus Christ. With Left on our own, we had no hope, but that's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus came and lived and died and was raised from the grave for us. And so just as we said this morning in the sermon time, because of the gospel, there is an answer to that question, what must I do to be saved? And again, that answer is the response of faith to believe and trust in that wonderful gift of God's grace of his own son, Jesus Christ, to um, repent of our sins and change the direction and purpose of our life to be more pleasing to him. Not perfect, not sinless, but to be faithful to him and uh, and to confess that that's the desire of our hearts and to be baptized. And just as Paul says, we are are dead to sin. Um, It doesn't mean we don't still struggle, and it doesn't mean that we don't still fall. But it means that that's not why we're living anymore. Uh, We died to sin, he says in Romans 6. How can we live in it any longer? Uh, Those of us who were buried with, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, uh, were buried with Christ through baptism into death. And so we died to sin. We died to self. We were buried with Christ, and we were raised to live, he says, a new life life. And that's the kind of life, that's what this is talking about right here, this life of of uh, praise and honor and worship and obedience to God. Not perfect obedience, but faithful obedience. And so that's what he means when he says, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not because we're so afraid, um, but because we reverence God. That's that whole idea of biblical fear. It begins with that thought of of being afraid because the Lord God, creator of the universe and ultimate eternal judge of all humanity, we should consider that. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10 and other places, don't be afraid of the ones who can kill the body but can't touch the soul, but rather fear the one who can kill both body and soul and destroy both. And I think that's what That's what Paul is saying here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do it as an act of worship. Do it as an act of service. But you're not doing it in order to be saved. That's something that's already happened through the gospel and through our response of faith. And so now the question is, okay, one question is, what must I do to be saved? But there's another question. Once we do respond in faith, the question becomes, how am I supposed to now live? And that's the therefore that Paul is talking about now, beginning in this verse, verse 12, and really continuing on through the rest of the book of uh, Philippians. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, gives us the idea of living in a way that is worthy. Philippians 1, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Again, that idea of striving together, of of putting some energy into your Christian walk and your Christian life and your Christian faith. Uh, It's not easy. 
And Jesus himself says that if you're going to be my disciple, he says in Luke 9, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. That takes some energy. It's a deliberate act of the will to do things that honor God and honor Jesus Christ and help and serve others rather than doing only the things that I want to do and only the things that make me happy and only the things that please me. Uh, Again, we take that example of Jesus who left heaven, who became human, who lived as a servant and who died the death of crucifixion for us. That becomes our example. In the same way, the book of Romans talks about the great salvation that we have for really uh, the first 11 chapters. He takes a little bit of a, of a detour in chapter 6 to talk about what that new life in Christ looks like and how we serve Jesus and not self. And we serve righteousness and not sinfulness. Um, and then he also speaks about uh, the plan of salvation in that passage, as we talked about dying to sin, being buried with Christ through baptism into death, being raised to live a new life. And then we come to Romans chapter 12, and he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, the wonderful compassion and generosity and grace and mercy of God, because of all of that, you should present your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, and, and so we're not doing that in order to be saved. We're doing that because God has saved us. We're doing what Jesus said in Luke 9, which is denying ourselves, taking up our cross every day and following him. Uh, we're doing what James 2 talks about when it says your faith should be alive, a living faith, not a dead faith. A dead faith is a faith that doesn't do anything. A dead faith is a faith without works and deeds that honor God and that help and serve others. But biblical faith is a faith that actually does work. It does good deeds. In Ephesians chapter 2, that great passage that says that we're saved by grace through faith, and even that response of faith is nothing we can boast about. It, it too is the gift of God. And so we recognize that every part of our uh, salvation comes from God, including our response of faith. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a response. And so now that we have done that, how are we to live? Uh, what are we to do? And scripture is clear in saying we live as a living sacrifice. We deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Uh, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling as an act of service and reverence uh, to God. Uh, we honor him by giving ourselves as not sacrificing and taking our life, which some unfortunately still in this world are threatened and called to do for the sake of Christ. But we do that by living for him each and every day. And that's that idea of being worthy. Philippians 1 verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Ephesians 4 says the same thing. Conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy. Live a worthy life, not a perfect life, not a sinless life. And nothing we can do will deserve, cause us to deserve or earn the salvation of Christ. There's no way we can pay God back for what he did by giving his son. There's no way we can earn the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, but we can do something to live in a worthy way in response to it. And that's really what Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 are talking about. Um, and the rest of Scripture, I believe that the whole New Testament is written to Christians to tell us how we're supposed to live. 
Uh, yeah, we it, there's a lot about Jesus in there and how he lived and his sacrifice for us and what a wonderful message that is. But in, even in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those were written to Christians. Those were written to the church to help us to share this story and maybe to understand it a little bit better, but specifically to show us how Jesus lived so that we can live in the same way. That's what it means to live a life that is worthy. Um, and Ephesians 2 says the same thing. It tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. But then he says we're God's creation, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus so that we can do deeds and works that are good. Uh, we do that not in order to be saved, but because that's who we are. Just as he told them in Romans chapter 6, we don't live a life of sin so that grace might increase. That's not who we are. Uh, we live a life of righteousness and obedience, not perfectly again, but that's our desire. That's our goal to be faithful in the eyes of God. Titus 3 says much the same thing, that we uh, receive that washing and regeneration through uh, the blood of Jesus Christ and the response of faith. And it calls us to live a certain way, to live a life of doing good. Peter tells them the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, to devote ourselves to doing what is good so that even though they accuse us, they'll see our good deeds and they'll know uh, that they really have nothing of which to accuse us after all. Uh, this is the message of Scripture. Uh, we don't earn our salvation. We don't deserve it, but we work it out. We bring it to completion. We continue to live faithfully to Him as an act of worship. And so we do that with fear and trembling. We do that out of our reverence to Christ. In much the same way, Colossians 3 tells us about that. And finally, he gets to verse 17. It starts out with, set your minds on things above, the heavenly things, the spiritual things, the eternal things, and not the things of this earth. And it talks about how we should live our lives and some specifics. And he does some specifics in chapters in the chapter that follows as well. But when he gets to chapter 3, verse 17, he says, everything you do, whether in word or deed, everything you say, every action that you have, uh, do that as an act of worship. Do that in service to Christ. Do that in a way that honors God uh, through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. A couple of ways to illustrate this, perhaps, uh, as we uh, begin to close out our time today. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that uh, the ones who uh, call him Lord, Lord, are not necessarily the ones who receive that salvation. But he says it's the ones that will do my father's will. Uh, and and he continues that thought throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 7, ending by that great illustration that's become one of our favorite children's songs, saying the one who hears my word and does them is, is like the one who built his house on the rock. Uh, and the rains came and the floods came and the house stood firm. And the ones who hear my words but don't do them, they're the ones that built their house on the sand. And the rains came and the floods came and, and the house fell and it was a great and horrible fall. Uh, he's talking about the ones who hear his word and actually do them, working out their salvation with fear and trembling, living a life that honors him and honors his Word, Just as he said after he washed their feet, he said, look, now that I've done this for you in John 13, he said, you're to do this to one another. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
again, looking back to James chapter 2, actually James chapters 1 and 2, that talks about living a life of righteousness, of service to those in need, such as widows and orphans, of being willing to follow that royal law of Scripture, and of the to love your neighbor as yourself, and to recognize that a, a faith that is doesn't act on itself, that doesn't do things to honor God and to help others is a dead faith. That's what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then we go to the very next verse, to verse 13. And I think verse 13 really helps us to understand verse 12. In Philippians 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So even though he says in verse 12, work out your salvation with fear, with fear and trembling, he says in verse 13, the very next verse that needs to be read along with verse 12, because it is God actually who is working in you. It is the Lord God who works through us in all of the good things that we do, who helps and serves other people through us by the good things that we do, the good deeds that we do, the ways that we reach out to others and the way that we help them. Uh, one person has written that it's similar to how you work on your marriage. Uh, you are already married, but you want to work on that so that it, the marriage will be better. You want to work on yourself so that you'll be a better husband or a better wife. It doesn't mean that you're not married right now. You are. But it just means that you're wanting to see that brought to fulfillment, to see that in, its, in the great vision that God has for that great institution of marriage. And, and so we, we realize that we continue to grow and we continue to try to be a better spouse, not because we're not married and we're afraid that we won't be married unless we're the perfect spouse, but because we have received that wonderful relationship. And we want to do that, uh, to honor that relationship, to honor our spouse, and to honor and, and be obedient to our great uh, God. Um, again, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is working out his will and his good deeds and his message uh, through you and through your life. Um, I'll end with this story from the great show, Saving Private Ryan. And those of you that know me and have heard me, certainly the members here at West Irwin and other places have likely heard me share this illustration. But I think it's still a very good one and a very powerful one to help us to understand what the difference is between earning and deserving our salvation by doing good works versus living a life that is worthy in response to those good works. I, there are two scenes that stand out to me in uh, that great movie, Saving Private Ryan. One is Tom Hanks's character is, is about to die. Uh, they have uh, brought Private Ryan and a lot of the, the group that has saved his life and tried to deliver him back to his mother who had lost his brothers. Um, and, and they had paid the ultimate sacrifice for that. And so as Tom Hanks's character, the captain of that uh, group, he... He looks at Private Ryan, and, and in his dying breath, he says, you have to earn this. You have to earn this. And truly, there's no way that he could earn the sacrifice that those men and their loved ones paid for him to be able to live. There's no way he could earn it. There's no way he could deserve such a great and incredible gift. But then you fast forward to the very end. And you go back to that scene with a grown-up Private Ryan, now a grandfather with a wife and children and grandchildren. And he's there in that great national cemetery 
uh, in Normandy. And he's looking at all of that and he's considering the great price that was paid uh, for his own uh, sacrifice, uh, the sacrifices made for his own life. And he looks at his wife and with tears in his eyes, he tells he asks her, tell me, tell me that I'm worthy. Tell me that I've lived a good life. Tell me that I'm a good man. And all of those things, of course, don't cause him to deserve or earn that salvation, that life that those men gave uh, to him. But it is something that is done in a, as a worthy response. And scripture tells us that we should live our lives out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We should do that because of what God has done in our lives, not in order to earn it or deserve it or even receive it but because we have received it and we don't deserve it, and yet he has given it to us anyway. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you and through you to fulfill his good purposes. May God bless each of us as we seek to live this way and honor and glorify him and love and serve our neighbor as ourselves and work out our salvation. Uh, with fear and trembling as God works out his will.